Aleluya. You may be seated. Pueden sentarse. Take this opportunity to dismiss our children to their respective areas. Queremos enviar a nuestros niños a su lugar respectivo donde van a aprender la palabra de Dios. There they will hear and learn the word of God. I want you to know that children's ministry here is not here to babysit your child, but it is here to empower your child. Nuestro ministerio de niños está aquí para simplemente darle cuidado a su hijo, sino para darle a su hijo las herramientas necesarias para que ellos puedan vivir una vida victoriosa. Praise God. Ahora, ¿quién aquí no entiende ni una gota de inglés? ¿Quién se le haría más preferible oír el mensaje en español? Tenemos a nuestra hermana aquí. ¿Quién va a traducir hoy? Tarsis, amén. Si pueden hacerle, entregarle. La pastora es una maestra en esto en poder traducirse ella misma. Yo para esto no soy bueno. Pastor Margie is, is, is a master in translating, as you guys witnessed last Sunday. She could translate herself. I can't. First of all, my message is too long for me to translate it. I don't preach less than 45 minutes and more than likely less than an hour. So if I'm going to preach a whole message, I'm going to translate myself, get ready to sit here for at least two hours. So we don't want to do that. Amen? Amen? Hey, man, I thought more people would be silent because I thought they wanted to be in the house of the Lord for as, as long as it takes. But anyway, um, so, so we're going to have Sister Tarsis. Vamos a tener la hermana Tarsis. Ella va a traducir. Y esta es una sierva que está ungida para eso. Amén. Usted no se va a perder ni una jota ni una tilde de lo que yo voy a hablar en inglés. Porque ella lo va a hacer claro. Claro. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, man, what a blessed day. How good to be in the house of the Lord. Bueno es estar en la casa de Dios. Amen. We've been on this, on this hot topic for the last two months, uh, speaking about the return of Jesus Christ. And so... Though we took a pause for the last few weeks, I want to go back to it. Because it's become such an important, um, such an integral part of my life lately that it would be foolish of me not to speak on it. As a matter of fact, it would be foolish of any minister to ignore a topic that is so prevalent in the middle. I'm going to preach it with Michael without Mike, so it don't matter to me. I use the, the effects of this room, and trust me, you're going to hear me. Amen. Now, this guy and I were having breakfast. This guy that just brought the mic, Juan. And we were discussing this about the return of Jesus not too long ago, right? Last week sometime. And one of the most intriguing things that I didn't know in, the, in all the years that I've been preaching was how much of the New Testament is dedicated 
to emphasize the importance of this event. Over 300 scriptures in the New Testament speak or allude to the return of Jesus. Of all the other doctrines in the New Testament, this is the one that's spoken most of. If there's over 300 scripture, I calculated, that means that one out of 20, every 25 verses has something to say about Jesus coming back. Only 70 times in the New Testament is repentance mentioned. Now, how many know that repentance is important? But it's only mentioned 70 times. A little over 30 times is water baptism mentioned, and that's one of the things that Jesus said we must comply with. And a little less than 10 times does the New Testament speak of Holy Communion. Now, all of these things that are mentioned, they're an integral part of the Christian doctrine. They're foundational to our doctrine when it comes to repentance, when it comes to water baptism, when it comes to partaking of the Lord's communion. Those are all important. But none of them is mentioned as much as the return of Jesus Christ. And yet, if we survey many congregations in this day and age, the last thing that they're speaking about is about the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to know, God didn't call me to preach to you what you like to hear. God called me to speak to you what you need to hear that is connected with your salvation, that is connected with your eternal destiny. And so that is what I've been commanded to preach, and that's what we are commanded to preach, and that's what this church has been determined to preach, in particular in these last two months. Because if the writers of the New Testament, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saw it necessary to address this topic so many times more than any other doctrinal topic in the New Testament, then obviously that speaks volume as to the importance of this message being proclaimed. Now, how many have heard of the word Advent? It means the coming. We're about to celebrate the first Advent of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus to the earth. Within the next few weeks, we're going to celebrate the first Advent of Jesus Christ to the earth. Over 2,000 years ago, he came to this earth. Him being God chose to take the form of a servant, chose to humble himself to the fullest so that he would be able to come and become the bridge between the creation and its creator. And so two, over 2,000 years ago, he came. Now his first coming was precisely foretold throughout all of Scripture. It was so precise, amen, the prophecies that spoke of his first coming, that it would be almost inconceivable for us to, to think that someone would not recognize him when he arrived, amen, on the scene 
As a matter of fact, someone said, Jesus came into the world with so many identification tags on him that it seems no one could misrecognizing him as the promised Messiah when he finally arrived. His coming had been foretold in hundreds of prophecies of the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, one of the prophecies was fulfilled, amen, through the pre a preacher by the name of John the Baptist. Isaiah had said in the 40th chapter of his book, in the third verse, that there would come a time when someone would call, would, would, would appear in the wilderness and would be crying out in the wilderness and the message of that individual would be, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make the paths straight for our God. And then in Matthew's chapter 3, the writer of Matthew's himself speaks of the fulfillment of this prophecy. And he says that John was the one that showed up and he was crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight the path of our God. He heralded the message of the coming of Jesus Christ. So it was seen that the theologians, the religious people, the ones who studied the Bible in that time would have found it easy to recognize Amen. Jesus, that, that Messiah that had been foretold and had been promised to the Jewish people when they saw him appear on the scene. It would have seemed easy for them to discover that this was the one of whom the prophets and all of the Old Testament scripture was referring to when they spoke about his first advent, his first coming. In the prophecies, They foretold of the tribe that he would come from, the tribe of Judah. The Old Testament prophecies, they gave a precise and detailed uh, explanation of, of his lineage, his genealogy, his bloodline. They even prophesied about the place where he would be born in Bethlehem. They even spoke about his birth being a birth, a virgin birth. In other words, he would be born of, of a woman, amen, as, as a result of the Holy Spirit coming upon her and placing the seed in her womb. It was no, 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 no result of, of the interaction or the relationship or the intimacy between a man and a woman, but the Holy Spirit himself would deposit the seed of God in that woman's womb. And so when he was born, he was born of a virgin. The prophets addressed that. Yet when he came, the religious people of his time miss entirely his coming. Either because some of them didn't bother to study, or some of them who studied were too caught up in their religiosity that they became ignorant of the fact that he who was the main theme of the Old Testament and of all the prophets had finally arrived. The Messiah, the awaited Messiah of the Jews had finally arrived. Now, if this wasn't enough, the Bible says that when he came, amen, besides all the, uh, the, the, the identification tags that he came with, amen, the Bible says that he was also accompanied by many signs and wonders and miracles that proved that he was the promised Messiah. He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. 
As a matter of fact, he was such an unusual individual, nothing in comparison to any religious figure that the Jews had known, not even in comparison to the prophets of old. Amen. The Bible says that even from afar, the demons would recognize him and they would plead with him, Jesus, what is it that you have with us? Why don't you just leave us alone? Why have you come to torture us? And the Bible says that his mere presence, he wouldn't have to say much. He wouldn't have to touch them. Amen. With his mere presence, he would just speak the word. Amen. And they would be set free. Demons would come out of people. Hallelujah. How many know that that same power to cast out devils and demons is in us, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ? That's why no Christian should be tormented by demons. No true believer, Holy Spirit-filled believer who knows the word of God and who stands on the promises of God should be losing sleep at night because demons are tormenting you. No. That same power that was in Jesus is in us. Amen. And when the, whenever the devil comes to try to disturb us, whenever the devil comes to try to rob our peace, we have every right and we have the authority to cast the devil out of us and out of our territory because he has no right to disturb us. Hallelujah. Jesus cast out demons. Jesus walked on water. In two occasions, he, felt, he, he fed thousands of people. The first time, over 5,000 people were fed with the ration that was intended only for one individual. Food that was only sufficient for one individual. Jesus took it and multiplied and fed over 5,000 the first time, over 3,000 the second time. So, again, the question would be, how could anyone with a right mind... And even with the slightest of knowledge of scripture and a prophecy, would not be able to identify that this was the promised Messiah. That this was the Son of God incarnate. That this was God himself in the flesh. So many other evidence that he gave that proved that he was the one indeed. But in spite of all of this, they chose not to believe in him. So in the passage of scripture that I want to read this morning, Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. I want you to open up your Bibles to that scripture. Matthew 16, verses 1 to verse number 3. We read in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. It says, then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of time. And so what Scripture says is that these two groups who couldn't stand one another, 
The Pharisees and the Sadducees did not get along. As a matter of fact, many times they, had, they held bitterness towards one another. One of them was predominantly religious, the Pharisees. The other one was predominantly political and wealthy. But they also were Jews who read scripture, which were the Sadducees. They could not get along. They couldn't stand one another. Yet they had the same religion. They had the same faith. Now they had some differences in doctrine or the interpretation of doctrine. For example, the Pharisees believed in angels and they believed in the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not believe in angels. The Pharisees, all that mattered to them was we don't mind being under the Roman rulership so long as the government allows us to practice our faith and our religion. The Sadducees says we don't mind being under Roman rulership so long as they allow us to keep our wealth and allow us to exercise our political power. And so, though they couldn't stand each other, they found a common ground upon which they would come together. And the common ground was that their hate, hatred for one another was not as great as their hatred and despise for the Messiah, for Jesus. And so they come together and they ask him this question. Now, this is really a question that they already knew the answer to. Because prior to this, in chapter 12, they had already asked Jesus for a sign. And Jesus says, I don't have to give you a sign. All you got to look at is at the sign that was already given to you, amen, through Jonah. And so they already knew Jesus was not going to please their desires. And he was not going to entertain their inquiries. So they knew he was not going to show them a sign. So therefore, there was a purpose for this question. The question was not for them to see a sign. The question was for them to test Jesus. And the word test here means they wanted to find a way to disprove, to discredit him as the Messiah, as a prophet. They wanted to find a way to call him and label him a false prophet. Amen. So that through this discreditment, through this uh, 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 false testimony that they would, they would uh, 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 put together, they would find a way to get rid of him once and for all. And so... Jesus, knowing the machinations of their mind and of their hearts. How many know Jesus knows right just what you're thinking about right now? <laughs> Jesus knows what you're thinking about right now. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows whether you come in here because you really want to seek him or whether you come in here with ulterior motives. He knows that. And so that's why... We might be able to fool one another, but no man can fool God. Amen. And at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is that, that we will please God rather than try to fool God. Because if we please man and not please God, then ultimately we become foolish ourselves. Amen. And so Jesus, knowing the machinations of their hearts and of their thoughts, he responds to them with a harsh response. He calls them hypocrites. He says, you're able to look at the sky and determine the weather, 
based on what you see on the sky, but you can't look at the signs that are so clearly before you. As a matter of fact, they're clearer than the signs in the skies that speak of what weather is going to be. You choose to ignore those signs, and so he calls them hypocrite, meaning he, he rebukes them harshly. He castigates them severely for not being able to read the signs of the times and understand the scriptures. They might have known, or at least they should have known the scriptures well enough for them to have been expecting Jesus' arrival at the time. Yet, they were not able to discern it. I want to tell you that if he felt this way towards those who should have known, amen, that his arrival was the fulfillment of the prophecies concerning his first advent, I want you to know that his precision is the same. For those who see the signs of the times for his second coming and either choose to ignore it or choose to live as though he ain't coming back. Because the truth of the matter is that in the same way that he came the first time and he fulfilled his coming, He's coming back again. Not necessarily the same way, but the, it's, it's the same in the sense that he's coming back just like he came in the first, in his first appearance. Now, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus ascended to the heavens. And so we've been waiting for over 2,000 years for his return. But no one who takes the word of God seriously can doubt that Jesus Christ is coming back. As I said before, his return is mentioned so many times in the New Testament. And it is foretold even in the Old Testament. If you read the books of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, even the minor prophets speak of his second advent. And so the Old Testament speaks about it as well as the New Testament, the fact that he's coming back. Now, when is he coming? Do any of us know when he's coming back? <laughs> if we did and we found out that it was tonight, we would have lines. We would have people. We would have to open the window. We would have to open the balconies to accommodate all the people that would be in church this morning. As a matter of fact, there's not enough churches in the Lehigh Valley to accommodate, accommodate the influx of the multitude that would show up in church if we had the date and the time, and the date and the time was November 26th at 3 p.m. The skies will rent and Jesus will descend, and he will take unto himself his own. This place would be packed. Last Sunday was nothing in comparison to what this place would be if we knew the date and the time. So we don't know. And we must be careful because Jesus spoke that in this end time, false prophets will rise up and they would try, amen, to contradict what he had already established. He had established in Matthew's chapter 24, verse 36, Matthew's 24, verse 36, but of that day and of that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but only my Father. And so any attempt for anyone to fix a date and a time should be a red flag to us that we need to run from that individual. 
We need to reject that individual. We need to reprove that individual. We need to correct that individual. And if they don't want correction, we need to separate ourselves from such individual because such individual is a false prophet. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a punishment. There's a, there, there's a, a, a wrath that's going to come upon those who speak falsely and who try to contradict what God has already established. It would be unscriptural and it would be worthy of rebuking, of chastising anyone who would dare to fix dates. Now, we know how many of you have heard of people that have put a date to the coming of Christ. Amen. I was talking with Jose, and we were talking about one of the popular religions in this day, right, Jose? And Jose was, let me tell you something, that, that guy there, God is doing something that, that that young man. I was learning from Jose. I mean, Jose was born in our ministry practically, and the other day I went with him. We went out to, 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 to have dinner, and he was teaching me some stuff I didn't even know about the Jehovah Witnesses. And how is it that they're, the, the, the one who founded them and even people that have come after him have, have set dates and times for the end of the world. And all of those dates that they have set. And he gave me these specific dates, one after the other. And this person said that it was on this day, and this person said that it was on, and I, I was, whoa. I told Jose, you know something, you need to teach a class on this. Because we are living in a day and time where many people, not only Jehovah Witnesses, people even in the Christian church. There's even... People that have been recognized, amen, as spiritual leaders within Christendom that have overstepped their boundaries and have tried, amen, to, to know more than Jesus himself knew at that time and have tried to fix dates and time. Remember when uh, Y2, what was it, Y2K? Amen. Was it Y2K, was it? <laughs> there were Christians running like chickens without a head because many were prophesying that at the turn of the century, <laughs> the end was coming. Amen. Even today, you look at Christian, some Christian programs, and they're, they're, offer, they're offering these uh, packets of food, dry foods that you could have, amen, and preserve them because, because the tribulation is coming, and, and the only way that you could avoid the mark of the beast, amen, is by, is by having your own food, amen, to feed yourself. Because if you don't have food and you go to buy food and you don't have the mark of the beast, they're going to identify you as someone, amen, that doesn't have the mark, and they're going to persecute you and kill you, amen, or they're going to force you to take the mark. And so there's believers right now that are selling dry foods, and you could buy... So much food, and it will last you. You got food here for 500 days or whatever. You could put it away. It doesn't get old. It lasts for 30 years, and you got Christian fools that are buying that stuff. Well, you could buy it if you want, if you plan on staying. Oh, if you want to be generous, why don't you buy it for some of the folks that you, you feel that if they don't get their act together, they're going to stay. Might as well leave it to them as a remembrance. They remember you as someone that's generous. Thank God, Tom, because though you're not here, but you left me your food. So whenever someone attempts to fix, fix a date, reject them, refuse them, they're a false prophet. Now, though we don't know the day and the hour, Yet Jesus said, and even the New Testament writers said, that we will be aware of his coming 
by discerning the seasons and the times. We could definitely know when his coming is near. And the general time when it's about to occur by simply discerning the times and the seasons. It's incredible that the Pharisees and Sadducees rejected the signs of miracles that Jesus did among the Gentiles. You know, when he came, the Bible says that he didn't come for the Gentiles. He came for the Jews. But the Jews rejected him. But to all of those that receive him, he has given them the right to be sons and daughters of God. And so before he returned to Jerusalem, he was ministering among the Gentiles and he was doing signs and wonders and miracles. And the Bible says that the Gentiles, who he, was, he had not come for initially, they responded by praising the God of Israel. But yet the Jews for whom he came, instead of accepting the signs of miracles and wonders, what they did was they rejected him. Because they couldn't read the seasons, discern the seasons. And so, one thing we know for a fact, Jesus is coming. And he's coming sooner than we think. As a matter of fact, his coming is closer today than it was at any other time in history because the signs today are so much greater than they have been in any time in history. The signs today are so much clearer than they have been in any other time in the history of mankind. Each day brings us closer to the return of Jesus. The Bible has so many signs which reveal to those that are willing to seek, to those that are spiritual, to those that hunger for the word of God, to those that desire to get closer to God, to those that have made life on this earth, amen, secondary, because their primary concern is their eternity. To them, amen, the Bible has revealed clearly the signs of times and seasons. To ignore these signs would make us partakers of the same sin of the Pharisees and Sadducees during the days that Jesus was on the earth. They were rebuked. They were reprimanded. They were castigated severely for not knowing the signs of his first coming. He would also rebuke and severely castigate us if we chose to ignore the signs of his second coming. Jesus himself gave many signs and indicators. He said that these signs would precede his return. Therefore, as we see these signs, they would be an indicator to us that his coming is imminent and is soon arriving. Again and again, in speaking of these signs, he assures us, so you too, when you see all these things taking place, know for certain that he is near, right at the door. Now, there are two dangers that we must consider. The first danger would be to set a date 
or to set a specific hour for his return. But the opposite danger to that is for us not to take seriously the signs of the times that are before us that speak of his soon return. If we ignore those signs, which Jesus gives us that point to his return, then we can be considered ignorant as the Pharisees and Sadducees were considered. We could be considered hypocrites, practicing our religious, amen, services, but ignoring the fact that Jesus is coming back. And so, as believers, we must not be ignorant concerning the signs and the times of the Lord's return. One preacher said in his message, no one can know when Jesus is coming again, for he will come as a thief in the night. The thief does not announce his coming or give any indication of when he may return. Of course, he was referring to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, which say, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. And so if you speak only about those two verses, then we would arrive at the erroneous conclusion that including us believers don't know the signs or the time when Jesus is coming. And we would think that he's appearing as a thief in the night and he's catching everybody by surprise. But you can't stop in those first two, in those two verses. You got to continue to read the chapter. Sometimes we misinterpret scripture because we focus on one or two verses and we don't consider the context of the scripture. If you keep reading that same fifth chapter, but you go on to verses four and five, this is what they say. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So notice carefully. The Lord's coming is going to be like a thief in the night for those that are not believers. But for those that are believers, for those that are student of the Bible, for those that love God and are, and are awaiting his return, it will not come as a thief in the night. We will know. We will be able to tell when is it that he's coming. Even if we can't pinpoint a date and an hour, we will be able to tell that it's near because the signs are evident and visible. So while some will be caught by surprise, those who believe and those who trust the word of God and, and feed themselves with the word of God, they will not be caught by surprise because they will be actively anticipating, passionately anticipating his return and know that it will be soon based on the signs and the seasons. Now, I'm not going to get into the signs this morning because time will not allow me. But you, I'm going to give you an assignment. When you go home this week, read Matthew chapter 24. The words of Jesus himself or what are some of the signs, amen, of the, of the times and seasons, amen, that would precede his return. I would give you another assignment. Read Luke chapter 21. Read Matthew or Mark chapter 13. Again, Matthew 24. 
Luke 21, Mark chapter 13, Jesus speaks clearly of these signs that would precede his second coming. One of the signs in Matthew 24, I'm just going to read that one, is that he says that there will be false teachers, false prophets. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be pestilence. There will be famines. There will be earthquakes in diverse places. There will be racism, hatred. There will be anti-Semitism. There will be hatred among brethren. There will be a religious apostasy. There will be a universal preaching of the gospel unto all the world and the budding of the fig tree, which is Israel. These are all signs that he spoke about in Matthew chapter 24. Paul goes on in the book of Timothy, 1 uh, uh, Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And he, he writes the following. He says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lover, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness but denying his power, and from such people turn away. So these are a list of, other, of signs that Paul adds to the list of signs given by Jesus in the, in the Gospels. Amen. Now, what would scoffers do? He says that this would be a sign of the time is that scoffers would rise up. A scoffer is someone that mocks. What would scoffers do when you mention these signs to them? What is it that some of the people tell you about when you tell them, well, you know, the Bible says that when you see wars and you hear rumors of wars, that means that Jesus is coming. A scoffer would tell you, well, we've had wars and we've had rumors of wars all throughout the history of mankind. A scoffer would tell you, well, it says that there will be pestilence. Well, guess what? There's been pestilence, amen, even from the days of old. Nations have experienced pestilence and mankind has experienced pestilence. The scoffers would tell you, well, it says, speaks about hatred. There's been racism all throughout the history. Since the fall of man, there's been racism. The scoffers would tell you, well, there's been anti-Semitism since Israel was established as a nation, when they came out of Egypt, there's been anti-Semitism. But there's one important thing that we must remind the scoffers. And that is found in 2 Peter. Or better yet, in Matthews. I just read that verse, but I want to read it again. Matthews 24, 33. It says, so you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door. Now, Jesus is speaking in regards to all these signs he said would precede his coming. So when a scoffer says there's always been hatred, there's always been anti-Semitism, there's always been uh, 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 all, all the other things that he mentioned, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and pestilence, there's always been famine. The Bible says that when you see all of these things, see, historically, we have seen these things happen in part, but we have never seen all of these ha things happen at once and at the level and with the consistency that they're happening today. 
before we would hear of wars and rumors of wars in a certain part of the world, but it had nothing to do with us. Now we hear of wars and rumors of wars, but every war that's breaking out all throughout the globe in some way, in some fashion, in some form, it connects us as a nation. Somehow we're going to be involved in them. Right now, tensions are high. Amen. In Asia. Amen. Because of this, this uh, uh, situation between North Korea and the rest of the world. Amen. So people are right now, amen, expecting that at any moment a world war will break out similar to World War III. Amen. And, and so th there are things that are happening right now, and they have increased in the level, in the, in the, uh, in the, um, the, the, the manner that they're taking place, that it gives us a clear sign that this is the time when Christ is about to return. There are five signs and I'm not going to be speaking about them today, but in my next message, I will be addressing them. But I'm going to give you the five signs that stand at the top of the list that will speak and will give us the time and the seasons of his return. Number one, the restoration of the nation of Israel to the land of Palestine. After 2,500 years of the nation being dispersed, Since they were taken into captivity, into captivity by the Babylonians and then by the Assyrians. 2,500 years that as a nation they have been dispersed all throughout the world. Yes, there was a brief revival through, through Nehemiah. Amen. And, 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 and they returned in part. Amen. And they, they, they try to restore the city and try to restore the temple. And that lasted. But, but even after that, they have been dispersed all over the world. Jerusalem was never, amen, the same, amen, for them for 2,500 years. Israel was no longer known as a nation with a land, but they were a nation that was dispersed throughout the planet. Hated, despised everywhere that they went. God would bless them because they're God's chosen people. And wherever they went, wherever they put their hands, whatever they touched was blessed. That's why Jews, you never find a poor Jew. And if you do, it's a rarity. Jews are blessed. It's not because I know sometimes, yeah, they're stingy. No, no. They're blessed because it comes with a covenant. They're blessed. You might not like them. You might have a boss that's a Jew, doesn't give you a Christmas bosom, but he's still blessed because he's part of God's people, God's chosen people. Be careful what you speak against that Jewish person. They're blessed people. Even in their dispersion, they're blessed people because they're God's chosen nation. And God made a covenant with Abraham, and he made a promise. And he said that he would multiply them, and he would bless them, and he would give them a land of prosperity. But for their disobedience, for their stubbornness, for their rebellion, they were dispersed 2,500 years. Soon, they will be celebrating their 70th birthday of being reestablished as a nation. And so Jesus spoke that when you see Israel, when you see the fig tree, Israel is, is represented by the fig tree. Jesus said when you see the fig tree blossoming, in other words, when you see the nation of Israel once again returning to their land, and you see the land producing milk and honey, if they, I've never seen a desert where there's so much vegetation like in Israel. 
Pastor Margie and I had the privilege of going there about 10, 10, 12 years ago. And it's incredible how in the middle of a desert, in the middle of a wilderness, you find all of this beautiful vegetation growing. Because that's the land that's blessed. It was promised to the Jews. And God said that they would bless them. Now, if you look at the surrounding nations, many of them are impoverished. Many of them are ravaged by war and, 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 and civil unrest. But when you go to Israel and you visit Jerusalem, amen, there's something special about that part of the world. There's something spiritual about that part of the world. Something happens to you. That's why, let me tell you something. You guys are blowing money on going on with all these vacations, going to Disney and going to, why don't you save some money and go to Israel? If you calculate it, I'm not saying that going to Disney is bad. It's not bad. I've been to Disney. But I'll tell you one thing. None of the vacations that I've taken and I've gone to many places can compare to that one time where we went to Israel. My life was never the same. Pastor Margie's life was never the same. And so I encourage you. Yes, it costs thousands of dollars. Stop drinking as much coffee as you drink. Stop going out to restaurants as much as you go out. Start saving some money, amen, and make a plan. In five years, I want to go to Israel if Christ has not come. And I guarantee you, if you go there, you will never be the same. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say it right from here. In five years, this church is going to have a trip to Israel. Write it down. Somebody write it down. November 26, 2017. You know it already. You better start saving when you leave today. Be frugal in your Christmas shopping. Don't get into debt. And then be miserable January, February, March, April, May, and June. Be wise in what you spend and separate some of that money so that we can go to the city of God. To the nation of God, to Israel. So, Lisa, you're going to keep me to that, right? 2022. So, every so often for these next five years, we'll, this is my recommendation. If you don't trust yourself with saving money, amen, we could even come up with a plan. Eddie Vega works in a bank, he'll open an account. And then maybe we could lock down that account so that money could come in, but no money can go out. Somehow we could do that. Let's work something out so that we can go to Israel. I guarantee you, you'll never be the same. How many by faith would say, Pastor, I want to be a part of that trip? Anybody by faith, by faith, by faith. I'm not saying we got the money right now, but by faith. Amen. We ain't got it yet, but by faith, we're going on that trip. Amen. Right now we got over 40 people right here that are going on that trip. We could have our own tour guy, our own bus. We don't have to go in all the group. We have enough to go on our own with our own tour guy. Hallelujah. Amen. But just so that I would empower your faith, it's going to cost approximately for two people a good six to $7,000. Everybody say, "Woo! praise God. He owns the cattle on the Thousand Hill. Amen. If he takes care of the sparrows, I know he won't mind providing so that I can go to the Holy Land. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is not a vacation for our, our, our self-gratification or for our leisure or for our entertainment. No. This is a vacation that will change our lives. 
Now, where was that? The five signs. And I'm done. Again, the restoration of Israel to the land of Palestine. You know that if you look at a map in the Middle East, Israel is nothing but a little speck surrounded by all these large nations, Arab nations. And yet, Israel is considered in this day and age, as small as it is, as one of the world powers, militarily. Now, it's easy for us to say the United States is a world power. Look at the size of the United States. I mean, some of our states are bigger than the whole land of Israel. But for you to look at such a tiny parcel of land and be able to recognize it as one of the world powers in this day and age, it has a lot to say about how God thinks of that region. And so, another sign. These are five signs that I'm giving you. And I'm going to speak about them in the future messages. Another sign would be the rise of the king of the north. You find that in Ezekiel chapter 38 and chapter 39. The kingdom of the north is interpreted and translated today to the rise of Russia and the allies that would join Russia to attack the nation of Israel in the end time. That's another sign. We see the rise of Russia. We thought that with communism being defeated and with Reagan telling Gorbachev to, to knock that wall down, we thought that that was the end. No. Russia is rising up today more powerful than they were during Reagan's years. Because it is prophetic. God said that they will rise up. And they will lead the charge of many nations coming against the nation of Israel. Now, if you take Israel and you put it in the map of Russia, God is a speck of dirt compared to Russia. And so that's another sign. Another sign would be this organization that is housed in New York City, known as the United Nations. The United Nations is a representation of the restoration of the, gov the Roman government of which Daniel spoke about that would rise again to power in this end time. And so we see this taking place right before our very eyes. See, but you, you won't know it unless you read your Bible. You won't know it unless you watch the news and compare it to what the Bible says. You'll be singing your songs and jumping along, but still living like if Christ ain't nowhere near. Because songs and jumping and dancing and playing and, 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 and even preaching is not suffice. you got to get into the word of God and recognize and discern the times and the seasons in order for you to see. And then compare it to what's happening worldwide, world events. Compare it and you will recognize that is real. It is real. It is evolving right before our very eyes. The preaching of the gospel would have to reach the uttermost parts of the earth. That was a sign that of Christ's second return. Folks, that is happening through media outlets. All the media forms that are out there today. I remember 15 years ago when I went to Cuba. There was no such thing as the internet the way we know it now. But yet in Cuba, such an impoverished nation held oppressed by communism with very limited means how they would get a hold of a radio 
And even in the most remote part of Cuba, they will receive a signal from Puerto Rico, the, the Christian station speaking and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the remote, most remote parts of Cuba. So there is no remote part in the world today that is not being reached by the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether it be by missionaries that are gone or whether it be through social media, every corner of the earth is being permeated with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, that's a sign that he would return soon. And of course, the increase in knowledge, the increase in technology, the increase in science would also be a sign of his coming. And so any one of these signs is already an amazing sign. But when you take them all together, amen, they become the most overwhelming evidence of the fact that he is coming back. He shall come and he will not tarry. When we consider just one fact, the restoration of the nation of Israel to the land of Palestine, we have a fulfillment of hundreds and hundreds of passages of Scripture which tell us that these things would happen just before he returns. And so in light of all of this, to think that nation now has its own flag, they have their own constitution, they have their own president, they have their own military, Amen. They're recognized by the nations of the world as a, as a reputable, respectable nation, even, even though they're hated, but they must be respected. And so that's a great sign. And so in light of all of these evidences that we cannot deny, the question this morning as I conclude is, are you ready for the coming of the Lord? That is the question that we ask you and we ask ourselves, are we prepared for the coming of the Lord? Based on the fulfillment of all these prophecies taking place, when he comes, amen, he's going to take those that are saved. But when he comes, it would also be an end of all opportunity for salvation to those that are lost. This is the time when we must turn. I mean, we must run to Jesus before it is too late. Jesus is coming. There was a song that was written about his first advent, and it said, go tell it on the mountains, over the hills and everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. But there's a great commission given to those of us that have believed in him, and that is to go and preach the gospel of salvation and go reach as many as we can. We had so many of our friends here last Sunday. Now, that was beautiful, but my challenge to you, if you brought a friend last Sunday, what are you doing or what plan do you have to nurture, to take care of that seed that was planted in the hearts of these individuals that were invited by you. I'm not saying we are to go and pressure them to come back to church, but I'm saying we have a great responsibility, and that is in the, in the minimum to pray that the deceiver, that the robber, 
would not rob that seed that was planted in their hearts. That's the, the minimum that we can do is pray and dedicate a time on a daily basis to mention them by name and to speak over that seed, to speak a hedge of protection over that seed. So that in due season, amen, they will be compelled based on that seed that was planted to not simply come because you invited them, but they will be compelled to come on their own and to make that commitment to be a part of God's kingdom. But what other things can you do to nurture that seed? And so I ask you that question, and I'm asking you to pray about it, and I'm asking you to allow God to give you ideas of how you can water that seed. You can nurture that seed so that what was planted last Sunday would bear much fruit. Otherwise, we just had a great event, and it will become another event that we'll do once a year and have a good time. But I'm not, I'm not for events to have a good time. I'm for those things that produce fruit. And so I believe that there was a seed planted last Sunday. But I believe it is our responsibility right here. Everybody that's here that brought a friend, it is your responsibility to pray to protect, to nurture, to speak prophetically over that seed and over that person that you brought so that ultimately they would come to Christ and they'll be saved. Imagine if 20% of those people that were here Sunday made a commitment for Jesus Christ because you chose to pray over them and to follow up with them. Amen. I'm telling you, we need to do that and we need to understand the seriousness of Christ's coming. We know that he's coming first to, to lift us up. He's coming in the rapture to, to, to rapture us, to take us to be with him, to those, those, those mansions that he went to prepare for us. And then he's returning back to establish his kingdom here on earth, and we're coming back with him as a mighty army. Amen. We're coming back to govern, to rule the earth. That is what the Bible says and that is what I believe. If you believe that, I encourage you, go. Go tell it to those that you know that Jesus Christ is coming again. And that he desires to come back for them. Amen. God bless you. Praise God. And I conclude, are you ready? Are you ready for his return? If you feel for some reason that you're not today, if you feel that if the trumpet sounded right now, you're not ready to go because you know that your life ain't right with God, I would refuse to walk off this pulpit without giving you an opportunity to make things right with God. Now, it's not anything you could do other than obey and voluntarily receive the one that can change your life. You can't change it. You've tried, and you can't change it. But God can change your life if you welcome him in. And so if there's anyone this morning that would like to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I want you to raise your hand. If there's anyone in this room, even people that have known the Lord but that are walking and have gone astray and their lives are not living up to their calling, if you want to recommit your life to Christ this morning, amen, I want you to raise your hand. This is your opportunity. Remember, once he comes back, if you didn't take advantage of the opportunity, the door is closed. You're going to be like the five virgins that didn't have enough oil. And when, when they went out to get oil, the bridegroom came. He, went, he walked in, closed the door. They tried to get in, but they couldn't. 
You're going to be like those left outside of the ark that Noah prepared right before the destruction of mankind. You're going to be knocking on the door, but you can't get in. It's too late. Today is the time of salvation. This is your time to make your life right with God and to begin to walk with God. Amen. Nobody, God bless you. God keep you. We love you. Somebody. Somebody raise their hand. No? Nah. You, you want us to pray for you? Yeah, come, come on forward. We want to pray for this young man. He was with us last Sunday. We're so blessed to have him again. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Pastor Gabe. Pastor Gabe. Elder Joey. Amen. Let's pray with As a matter of fact, any, any man that wants to come forward and just, just be a support as Pastor Gabe and, and, and Elder Joey pray and Johnny any man that wants to be a support, come on. We're praying for revival to start in the male gender. Come on. If you want prayer this morning, if you don't have Jesus, folks, I'm telling you, I don't care what religion you're from. I don't care what, what church you go to. I don't care how you were raised. You could have been raised Pentecostal, Catholic, Jehovah Witness. I don't care what you were raised. If you ain't got Jesus, if Jesus Christ is not the Savior and the Lord of your life, you are lost. Just like the Pharisees who were very religious were lost. The only guarantee that you have that you will go when Jesus returns, that you will go with him is by making him the Lord and the Savior of your life. So I invite you. God bless these folks that have come up. Come on. Ladies, come up. Help pray. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Glory to God. Los que están andando aquí flojo, arreglesen. Arreglesen. Los que están andando desapercibidos, arreglense, dice el Señor. Porque el riesgo que nos corremos no solamente que Cristo venga, sino que de un momento a otro perezcamos en un accidente, perezcamos en una muerte inesperada y nos muramos sin Cristo. Cuando abra los ojos en el otro lugar, vas a darte cuenta que tu religión no fue suficiente para salvarte. Nadie te va a poder sacar de ningún lugar. No hay oración, no hay rezo, no hay ceremonia, no hay dinero que pueda sacarte del lugar a donde tú has sido destinado. Tú determinas el destino haciendo la decisión por Cristo ahora en vida. No puedes hacerla después que pase al otro, al otro lado. Es ahora. Yo sé que hay iglesias por ahí que enseñan que si se paga cierto dinero y se hacen ciertos rezos, podemos sacar a la gente y traerlos a... No, no. Hoy es el día de salvación. Hay que hacerlo en vida. Aleluya. Eso no te estoy predicando religión. Eso es la verdad de la palabra de Dios. No crea las fábulas y los cuentos de hadas que los hombres se han inventado para engañar a la gente. Lo estoy diciendo en español, no sé por qué. Pero hay alguien aquí que entiende español que necesita a Cristo. Y Dios te está llamando. Déjate de estar cogiendo de, de, deja de, 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 de dejar que te cojan de, 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 de bobo y creer fábulas que no están en la escritura Cristo viene pero para, para que tú te puedas ir con Cristo tienes que aceptarlo como Señor y Salvador y tienes que invitar al Espíritu Santo que venga y haga cambios en tu vida de no ser así te pueden traer el Papa de Joma y te pueden traer a quien quieran y nadie te va a sacar de tu destino final ni el, ni el predicador más pentecostal que tú has conocido te va a poder sacar de tu destino final. Es tu decisión ahora. Aleluya. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Si quiere enojarte conmigo, enojate. Pero en aquel día no vas a poder usarme a mí como excusa. Dios te va a poner la pantalla y te va a revelar. Domingo 26 de noviembre. Traté de, traté de seducirte, traté de traerte a mí, pero tú ignoraste y rechazaste. Como rechazaron los fariseos, los saduceos. Y por eso te encuentras hoy en este tormento. Hallelujah. God bless these souls. God bless these souls. Hallelujah.